0: Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is Justin Reich, and we're going to talk about his book, Failure to Disrupt, Why Technology Alone Can't Transform Education. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. How did this book come about?
1: Uh, I was uh, one of the first researchers hired by Harvard University um, in 2014 when edX and HarvardX and MITX are getting started. These are these um, in- organizations that provide massive open online courses or MOOCs. These MOOCs, courses, are yes. hundreds of thousands of people signed up for them. Um, and I was investigating uh, you know, whether or not these kinds of technologies were going to transform education, how they work, how we were going to learn about learning. Um, and an agent reached out to me and said, Hey, this would be interesting. You know, you're doing some interesting scientific research here. You should write something that, uh, people other than other academic researchers should be able to understand.
0: Definitely. Uh, talk about technology today. I mean, there's such an addiction to phones and laptops and people don't seem present. What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, you know, we use new technologies to extend our capacities um, and sometimes these new technologies, uh, you know, benefit us and we grow and we find new ways to learn and communicate and share with one another. Um, and then new technologies also have undesirable side effects and we have a hard time negotiating um. Be- between these two things, it's hard to look forward into the future and say, um, you know, how, it's obvious in the, in the short term, how would a handheld supercomputer connected to an enormous fraction of the world's information and over 2.5 billion people help me get through my day, like in lots of different ways, um, you know, but what kinds of side effects would it have to, you know, have that, that, those knowledge and those connections with me all the time? Those kinds of things are harder pr- to predict.
0: Right. So tell me a little bit about, you talk about in your book, MOOCs, but what are, what are auto graders and intelligent tutors? What's that all about? I mean, I know a little bit, but you can tell the listeners a little more.
1: Sure. So for the last 60 years, for as long as we've had computers, computer scientists and instructional designers have worked together to try to Create computer programs that can teach human beings. Um, and the very simplest versions of these, um, you know, back 60 years ago, you would see text on a screen that would ask you a question, and you'd be able to type your response. Um, and if you typed a response that was exactly the same as what had been programmed into the an- uh, the answer bank, um, then it would say you were correct, and it would pass you on to the next problem. So those are some of the simplest auto graders. You know, a computer program you could see on the screen: What is two plus two? And if you answer the number four, or if you answer the word F O U R, or if you answer some common misspellings of four, maybe F O R, and someone had programmed all of those possible answers into the bank, then you'd be right. If you typed something like the number four, and someone had not thought to put the put number four in the answer bank, right. then you would be wrong. Um, so the computers are not. Um, understanding human semantics. They're not paying attention to the meaning of what you said. They just try to figure out whether or not um, what you've put in the answer matches what's put into the answer bank. Now, those answer banks have become much, much more complicated and sophisticated over the years. Um, But it is still the case that computers don't really understand what humans are saying or what humans are typing. They're just doing sort of increasingly sophisticated forms of pattern matching. So um, there are language learning programs that can detect pronunciation pronunciation. They can evaluate whether or not you're saying por favor correctly. Mm-hmm. And they do that by having a whole bank of um, you know, audio files with native language speakers or language learners speaking, and then other people label them as correct or incorrect. And it does this sort of complex pattern matching using machine learning and other things like that. Um, but it's still sort of fundamentally pattern matching. So these auto graders are really important, because if we want people to be able to learn independently online, um, then they need to be able to get feedback while they're doing that. The computer needs to be tell them, oh, you're doing that. You're learning this well, and you're doing a little better and you should move forward or you don't understand this yet. Right. Um, So what we can auto grade determines quite a bit about what we can let people independently pursue, you know, using adaptive intelligent tutors and those kinds of things.
0: Uh, I just want to share with the listeners that um, who I'm speaking with. I'm speaking with Justin Reich. Uh, you are a Mitsui, am I saying that correctly? Mitsu Career Mitsui Development-
1: Career Development Excuse Professor. Mitsui, Mitsui Corporation of Japan. They appreciate your sponsorship.
0: Okay. Mitsui, Career Development Professor of Comparative Media Studies and Director of the Teaching Systems Lab at MIT. You're host of the Teach Lab podcast, and you've written about education and technology for Education Week, New Yorker, The Atlantic, Washington Post, et cetera, et cetera. You're actually speaking to an instructional designer. I went to Syracuse and I attended BU. And I was always fascinated with the role of technology, like what it is and what it is not. And on my blog, I posted the information about your book, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. But you have uh, an endorsement from Howard Gardner, and I really enjoyed his his uh, books and his research. He's author of Frames of Mind, The Theory of Multiple Intelligences. Um,
1: he has a new book out, a memoir, The Synthesizing Mind. It just came out uh, a, a few weeks after my book. So lots of good things to study there.
0: And I, well, the reason I bring this up is because I was telling my daughter the other day because I've never been a very good uh, math student and certain things I couldn't grasp. And it wasn't until I was at BU and I read more about Howard Gardner and this was it seven different types of intelligences he speaks mm-hmm. about. I thought, oh, that is me. I don't have to be you know, just because I'm not a good math student doesn't mean I'm not smart at something else, right? So I was telling my daughter this about Howard Gardner and I thought that yep, was Yep, that's, that's
1: his sort of signature contribution to the field, this notion that, uh, um, that instead of thinking of intelligence as a single construct, um, that we should think about it in, as multiple constructs, as sort of different dimensions of, of how people learn and, and how they express their strengths and capacities.
0: Well, I'm so impressed you have an endorsement from him. I think he's <laughs> incredible. Um, do you feel that technology, it should be more of blended learning where people don't just strictly rely on the technology?
1: Well, I think a hard thing about Technology is it works unevenly in learning environments. It works uh, differently well in different subjects for different people in different contexts. So one of the things we found studying massive open online courses is that there are a group of people with really well developed self-regulated learning skills. People who are good at you know setting deadlines and setting you know scheduling their work and reviewing areas they don't understand. Most of these people are already educated folks. It seems like the best way to become a good self-regulated independent learner for most people is to have an apprentice in the form apprenticeship in the formal education system. Now for folks like that, um, learning independently online is great. They may not need any you know, of the sort of supports or other learning experiences for certain kinds of topics in blended learning. It also matters what you're studying. Sure. If you're learning how to be an accountant and much of what you'll do as an accountant is sit in front of a computer, sort of looking at numbers and typing things, then maybe sitting in front of a computer, looking at numbers, typing things is a good way to learn that. If you're gonna become a nurse or a surgeon, um, there's probably ways in which online learning can benefit you, but we probably don't wanna have people you know, learn surgery entirely from sitting in front of a laptop by themselves learning. So it depends on who you are and what kinds of experiences you've had and what subject you're in. Um, You know, for folks who have kids in schools right now, I think most folks are recognizing that our very youngest learners really struggle with online learning. Um, You know, it's very difficult to participate in learning environments through video conferencing or even online games or other kinds of things. If you don't have great fine motor skills, if you don't have great executive function, if you're not able to sort of keep track of multiple tasks that you're supposed to do in a row or so forth. Yes. So it's, you know, it's who you are and what you're studying and where you are in life and how interested you are in sure. a bunch of other different kinds of factors.
0: I mean, my personal take on the technology is that for kids that are online, let's say college, they're college freshmen. They're really upset right now that they're not having that full experience. I know. Cause I have a college freshman in my house and I think you have to balance out where When I say you, I mean, as a teacher, balance out having activities online, but have them go out and actually study the stars, you know, do something outside, get out of the house. Um, So it's a balance of technology with other activities. So it feels more well-rounded.
1: Yeah, and I think great teachers are doing that. You know, great teachers are also recognizing that it's very hard to recreate school at home. So um, hard. home is good for some kinds of home learning. And, right. you know, schools, there are whole buildings, there are whole routines, infrastructures that are designed to support the kind of learning that happens in schools. Um, I think the challenge is that when we send people out independently, you know, under the stars or down to the pond or to their supermarket to learn independently, um, they don't have lots of the structures and supports that, um, you know, even we can provide in video conferencing. So if we send people on their own to do investigations, then they don't have a teacher or peers or other kinds of folks there to say, well, you do this step and oh you found that confusing let me just explain this one part to you and now you can go into the second step and so forth um you know i mean i think in a in a better world we would have spent much more time over the summer um kind of reorganizing school and society to make it more possible to have more kinds of people in different sorts of local contexts be able to support um young folks in their learning it's a it's a challenging environment that teachers are in right now
0: so i mean my heart goes out to them it's so challenging What else would you like people to know about the book?
1: I I mean, I think the part of what the book helps to explain is Why has technology in some respects been so lackluster during this period? Why had, you know, despite the fact that over the last two decades, there have been all kinds of education technology evangelists who've said, you know, we're on the cusp of this big transformation that new technologies are going to enable new kinds of teaching and learning. And then the pandemic hit and then we have remote learning. And I think most folks find it somewhat disappointing um, and in some cases really disastrous. And I think there are two kinds of mistakes that education technology advocates um, have made in the way that they've described the future to the public, is that they often describe education technology as sweeping, as something that can lead to transformations of the future. You know, the technology is a bulldozer, a Swiss army knife. It sort of does everything and moves everything away. And in fact, the technologies we have are quite limited. Um, they're good if you're trying to do specific kinds of things. Um, we have some pretty good, you know, gamified adaptive tutors for K5 mathematics. Um, they're good for helping people like learn some procedures and concepts. They're not very good at helping kids explain their reasoning. And explaining your reasoning is one of the most important things we do in mathematics. So we can sure. help you in some areas, but not in others. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the second big mistake that technologists have made in advocating education technology is. is is arguing that it's like a a switch that can be flipped on and off, that if we just buy the right devices and download the right software, that teaching and learning will be different. But that's not how teachers and students and communities use new tools. It requires opportunities for professional development, for training, for collaborative practice. It takes people time to learn new routines that take advantage of new technologies. And I think we've spent you know in schools and other parts of society, there's been lots of of emphasis on let's get the right devices, let's get the right stuff. but what we really need to have an emphasis on is how do we build the capacity of the professionals in our schools so they're continually learning, continually growing, and can take advantage of new new tools and new opportunities.
0: Right. I don't know. It reminds me of like somebody's trying to pitch you a really fancy, amazing car, but you don't know how to drive the car. And you need certain skill sets to use the technology. You need a certain creative mindset. And it's hard. You know, There's a lot of you need perhaps an instructional design background or someone to kind of teach you different ways because I've seen all these fancy webinars and all this technology, and really the message is important, the content and how you present the content. It, does, it could be a PowerPoint presentation, Justin. It, it's most important is the message, not how slick and fancy the technology.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I, and I think part of what we've seen during the pandemic is that instead of using lots of brand new, you know, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, yeah. big data, other kinds of things, we're for the most part using two of our oldest technologies, which are learning management systems, things like Google Classroom or Canvas that pass documents back and forth. Right. And what in the 1930s was called video telephony, um, which we now call video conferencing, but is some of our oldest communication uh, technology. And yeah. so, you know, but still part of the challenge is saying, okay, these are the tools that we have to use if we can't all be in the same buildings together, how do we use them as efficaciously as possible?
0: Yes. Uh, where can people find out more about you?
1: Uh, To learn more about the book, you can go to to failuretodisrupt.com. And there are links to the book and to, you know, reviews and other things have been written about it. We have a virtual book club that we're doing. We're having a great group of guests discuss the book um, uh, every week, each chapter a week, all fall long. Um, And then the lab that I run at MIT is called the Teaching Systems Lab, which is tsl.mit.edu.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Any last bit of info you'd like to leave us with?
1: No, I would just echo what you said before to all the teachers and parents that are trying to make learning work during this really challenging period. You know, my hat is off and my heart is with uh, all the the folks doing that incredible work right now.
0: I know. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. Congratulations on your book. I know it's probably hard doing a book tour virtual, but it can also be exciting if you look at it the flip side.
1: Yeah, lots lots of virtual meetings about it. It's good. Yes.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much, Jessen.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure.